Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm glad that the power panel is assembled in the studio, socially distanced, and we are ready to take your questions. Let us know what you have on your mind that we can talk about today. Maybe there's a verse from Scripture. Maybe there's a a theological concept you've wrestled with. Let us know what it is. We are more than happy to tackle it. The text line is 877-933-2484. But to get things started, gentlemen, I first want to introduce the power panel. I don't think 007's here yet, but we've got uh, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, and uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi there, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hey, Bill. And uh, radio people in radio land. All right. Normally my job, but thank you. Oops. No, that's all right. Um, I want to start by saying what a pleasant and amazing surprise we got us, the power panel. Uh, a listener uh, named JC and Mark, they sent us... Lefsa. Oh, I love Lefsa. Oh, oh, this just look amazing. It is incredible. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really mean it. With butter and sugar. Yum. Brown sugar. Yes, indeed. It is the best. It is good. That's what you use Lefsa for, isn't it? To transport butter and sugar <laughs> into your it mouth. <laughs> it's just an excuse for but- for sugar and butter. That's right. Yeah. I mean, do you ever want a baked potato? What you really want is butter and sour oh, cream, exactly right? exactly right. Yeah. yeah. It's just the vehicle to get the butter and sour cream in is that thing yep. called the potato. But... This potato lefsa is exquisite, and it's an uh, old company. It's a family business, and it's in Gonvik, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is good stuff. I've eaten this. I love it. It's great. We used to have it at the church all the time. It's Norwegian, isn't it? Scandinavian. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and I can't a... think of any reason why this doesn't open up the floodgates of opportunity for listeners at this why point, Why aren't Bill. they calling about I mean, there's, <laughs> there, there's any number of things that at this point could get dropped off in the studio, I would think. <laughs> I would think so. But this got uh, sent by uh, JC and Mark, and just a big thank you. Mrs. Olson's Lefsa.com. Mrs. Olson. Mrs. Olson. Yeah. I love it. And I just, you got to see this Mountain website. Grown, it's just fantastic. Mountain Grown, kind. Yes. It's uh, good, been good, around good. since 1959, and all the employees live in the area, and they... Uh, they they make the lefsa regularly and send it out. You can't get it on Amazon. You go right to them. Oh, is that you know, right? Tom yes. and I were alive in 1959. Uh, Come we on. Yeah, we were both alive. Yeah. I'm so surprised you Yes, that. we were. Yeah. All right, but thanks again. That was really nice. Mrs. Thank you. Olson's Incredible. Thank you so much. Just Indeed. a beautiful little website. Speech. And very fun. Ever call in and speak to us. Yeah, if she wants to. She's more than welcome to. You know, it's just kind yeah. that people think about that because you listen to voices on the radio and you may like them or not like them, but you never think about doing something like that. And that's impressive, and I mean it. I'm very touched that you did this. Got another nice gift from a listener uh, last week. And, you know, you have these conversations and you talk about certain topics and they, out of the generosity of their heart, end up turning around and sending you something to read or something to try. Or Sure. In in uh, JC's case, a, a little bunch of lessa for us to enjoy the power panel she loves the power panel she loves That's you guys good. it's fun it's yeah. great yeah all right let's get started with the program again if you have a question or something you'd like us to talk about 877-933-2484 all right now i've already lost my opening note i want to talk about 
the, uh, here it is, in Matthew 8, I want to talk about the faith of the centurion. All right? Mm-hmm. Let me just read. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those followers, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Okay, does anybody have any trouble connecting those dots? Here's a guy bossing people around. They pretty much have to do what he says, and yet Jesus celebrates this man as a person of great faith. Well, he stepped over the threshold of the difference between just being a soldier and what it meant to be a soldier of faith, because he really saw in Jesus' power. That's pretty incredible. And he didn't even question Jesus' power. Jesus said, I'll come with you. No, no need to do that. I know what it's like to be under authority. Just say the word. Yeah, that should be the way faith should operate in our lives, but it rarely does. And so I'm very impressed with this guy, and I've always studied uh, this passage quite a bit, preached on it a lot, and it's a good reminder to me that I've got to understand I'm under the authority of the Lord and that I have to simply turn to him and let him do what he's going to do. Reminds me, too, of the Syrophoenician woman, another non-Jew, who and Jesus praised her for her great faith. Yeah. In, uh, and he delivered his, her daughter from demons. And I think Jesus is getting people ready for the view that you don't have to be Jewish and be saved. Because that was big, that only the Jews had had uh, true salvation. And then Jesus dies for everybody. And it still took the early church quite a while to understand you don't have to be Jewish to be saved. And so I think this is kind of planting the seeds for what, Acts 15, where the church decides, yep, you can be Gentile and be saved. Yeah, and I think a part of this too, Bill, is when you think about the centurion having people under his command is that that when you're under the command of somebody else and they say that you should do something, there is a sense of trust that you will do that uh, even if you don't fully understand what the outcome might be and you, and you might be willing to just say yes independent uh, of how you understand the situation. And that certainly is going to happen in the context of the military, right, where there's this chain of command and you're expected to to trust in the person who is giving you the command of authority. And, and that does take a measure of faith. I don't think that's all that different than people when they say yes to following Jesus. The unknown is always so terribly uncertain to us. And Jesus promises to be the good shepherd. And and if you are a person of faith, then you're going to listen to your shepherd as to, to walk out life in his kingdom. So I think he is just sort of amazed at the idea that the centurion is willing to place himself under the command in the word of Jesus as a person who actually has command, who's used to having that kind of influence, is suddenly saying, but look, I will, I will yield myself to you. I will submit to you. And, and Jesus is saying, this is the kind of faith I'm looking for. And I think, Tom, to your point, he is, he's going to go on in this passage to be able to say, there's going to be people who come to these seats in the house of Israel that aren't actually going to belong. They're going to think that they're part of this kingdom based on their heritage and based on their, their race and background and genealogy. But the people who are going to belong at my table are the people who say yes to me about the future, independent of understanding that future. So I think there's a, there's a sense in which he is saying, this is who's part of my kingdom, our people of faith. And he's setting up that stage, as you've said, for the Gentiles to come in as well. It's a good word. And I think what the centurion saw 
was the person of Jesus having real authority. I think sometimes we talk about faith, and that's a pretty common term in Christianity. We always think of it as some kind of out there thing. You know, I just they only had more of it. It's not how much faith I have. It's who I put my faith in. And my faith is not in how much I believe. My faith is in Jesus, who has the power to do anything. Mm-hmm. And that's where faith always lies, and that's what the centurion did. Yeah, that's so well said. I, I uh, just looking here, um, I, I think part of what's connected to, to his faith is his humility. Um, and, and just what was already kind of said in terms of trusting. So up to this point, um, the Jesus authority has certainly been challenged by the religious leaders. Jesus authority um, astonished the crowds. But I think this is the first time in Matthew where um, his authority was actually being trusted in. And uh, from a Roman centurion and one who had, you know, a hundred other soldiers underneath him, and I think it's, he was recognizing where true authority lies. And and I, and I love the outcome of this. He says, you don't even have to come. He just he says, say a word. And that's exactly what happens. You know, he said, go, and Jesus said, go let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And I think it's just, he understood something about Jesus that um, even I think his closest followers at the time failed to, failed to perceive. And there's a beautiful part of the liturgy when you're preparing for communion when the people say, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come to my table, but only say the word and I shall be healed, which comes out of this text. That's right. Fantastic. All right, here's a question that came in from Carol. Dissecting the Lord's Prayer with young children, how would you explain the part of the prayer, Thy kingdom come, to children? Well, I, uh, with young children myself, um, and I know... Uh, you know, others would speak into this as well, but I think that's, um, uh, I have a, what's called the Jesus book story, Jesus storybook Bible. And, um, I love how that book, uh, puts it in the Lord's prayer. I think it's something along the line of, uh, basically saying, you know, uh, basically daddy, you are good and let what you want to be done, be done in my life and in the world around me. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so in other words, I think it's, it's recognizing that, that, God is a father who has good plans and purposes, and it's it's saying, I want, I want to have your way and your plans and purposes um, above my own. I'm wanting what you want more than what, what I want, because I'm trusting what you want is what's best for me. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I had a brilliant response, but after hearing Justin, I don't have to say anything. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice job, 007. Way to sneak in unannounced. Uh-huh. Do you notice yeah. he didn't get announced? He, did. he just, I know, he just was there. That's what yeah. those 007s do. You, just, you never know they're there until they're there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I ask, I mean, when you guys pray the Lord's Prayer as adults, thy kingdom come, what do you think you're asking for? What are you asking for? Yeah, I think, Tom, for me, when I think about it, and I also think about it in light of kids, you know, kids are so tangible, but I don't think we lose that that need for, like, tangible kinesthetic engagement with this stuff. And what I mean by that is if I was with a young kid, it would be interesting. Kids love to build Lego stuff. They they love to build their little kingdoms that, that have little figurines in them and little ways of life. And, and when I think about a kingdom... I think about within that kingdom, there is likely to be a ruler, and then that ruler is likely to have a way of life that his his subjects are to be living within in terms of the kingdom. So I think you could probably with kids, and then the way I would answer the question as an adult here too, Tom, 
is that you could build little Lego kingdoms and, and then just kind of have them creatively think, what, what are ways of life in this kingdom? What does this king care about? What does this king care about? And maybe have multiple kingdoms set up on like a ping pong table or something in the basement and, and just go through all the different ways of life in these kingdoms. And, and then be that, that'll open up space to say, huh, I wonder what life is like in Jesus's kingdom. I wonder mm-hmm. if I was living within that kingdom and that was my citizenship to use the language of Paul. My citizenship is in heaven. That's where my kingdom is. What might the ways of life be that would be available to me to, to walk in? Um, what would it mean to walk in humility? What would it mean to have a forbearing spirit? What would it mean where the, the last are first? And if you want to become great, you serve. And like you can start introducing all of the language of the king of this kingdom Maybe even the context, like I would benefit from having Legos around me, thinking about the kingdom, <laughs> uh, much less little children. So I think you can make it as tangible and as accessible maybe as that. A, maybe a listener would send send us Legos. Well, for right? Yeah, Thomas. Thomas, um, don't. <laughs> <laughs> he was kidding. No, no. Folks. Can I tell you though? Yeah. Please, he, everybody. Like when you when I pray the Lord's prayer, Thy kingdom come. Growing up, I always thought second coming come lord jesus let's get this over with take us to heaven i mm-hmm. do think that's what it means but there's a second half to it thy kingdom come present tense you know lord please put an end to abortion and pornography and turn our nation around so i think when you pray thy kingdom come you're praying the future tense come lord jesus at the end of time but you're also pr- praying present tense come lord jesus be king over my heart today oh, sure. over the heart of america yeah over the heart of the world. So I think it's well, future and present. Didn't Jesus say the kingdom of God is within you? Mm-hmm. So it's not just something out there that's coming. Right. It's something that's here right it's now. Both. And the issue is, do we allow him to really be Lord, mm-hmm. really be the king? And so then when I think yeah. of it, that's what I think of. Let me take our first break. You're listening to Guy Talk. Let me know what your questions are. We've got some great ones coming in. I will address them in the order in which they arrive. And there's a bunch here I'm excited to get to. The power panel is all in place. And we are socially distanced, and here we are. We're looking forward to hearing from you. 877-933-2484. All right, we are back. Kind of having a left Sahai today. <laughs> uh, I like it. Yeah, 007 has no idea what we're talking Pass about, which I love. <laughs> you, you guys have left stuff? Nah, What's going on? We know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we're dividing yours up okay. as we speak. Yeah, I got eyes everywhere. I'm this watching is, you right now. No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's creepy. Okay, never mind. Okay, uh, let's see. <laughs> Lots of really good questions. Here's one. Uh, I think, Tom Brock, you might have the answer to this one. Mm-hmm. Have you guys had your vaccine yet? I heard around town that we shouldn't. Mostly folks from church. The vaccine contains things that are against what the Lord agrees with. I think people are thinking of end times. What do you think about that? Well, I'm, I just interviewed Brian Gibson of Pro-Life Action Ministries. Okay. And he, people go to pastorstudy.org and watch the show. And that was the question. Is it okay to get this vac- vaccine? And I want to get a vaccine. I don't want to get that. I, I don't think anything's wrong with a Christian getting a vaccine. However, the Pfizer one, while it was not created using aborted stem cells, the experimentation for it did use aborted stem cells. Something is about to be approved probably called Novavox, which is clean. And so personally, the one that's going around right now, just because I don't want to be connected to abortion, I don't want to do that one. 
and I'm waiting for this next one to come out that's clean. I agree, and I think that's wise to do. There are quite a few trying to come out without using that past research because it's become so public and people really have mixed emotions about it. And I don't want that vaccine either. Uh, So if I can wait, uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do. All right. I think that was well answered. Nice job. All right. Why did God give Satan permission to wreak havoc? Why was he created anyway? God knew he would uprise, right? Mm -hmm. The enemy uses that thought against me. The listener? You guys break into small groups. (laughs) I'm trying to be polite and bite my tongue because I know what I want to say, but I'm trying to be polite. Go ahead, be polite, Tom. Justin? Tom seems like a great place to jump in, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of this is a mystery, but uh, the verse that comes to mind is Romans 11, isn't it? Where Paul ends the great chapter on predestination saying, God has shut up all men under sin that he might have mercy on all. So why did God allow the devil? Why did he put the tree in the garden to get us messed up? Did God know that was going to happen? Of course he did. But Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. So it didn't surprise God when all this happened. And the and this is the best answer I can give. God allowed all the crud and horror in this world to send us a Savior so we would know the depth of love of God that the Adam and Eve didn't know. Adam and Eve didn't know about the crucifixion. We know the depth to which God will go to save us. So I think ultimately everything turned out for God's glory and our good. But the world's an evil place. It's a booming, buzzing mass of confusion because of the fall. You know, I've always been struggled with the difference between Peter and Judas. Peter denied Jesus three times. You know, Judas betrayed him. What's the difference? Well, on the surface, there is no difference between the two. But Peter repented. Mm-hmm. Judas killed himself in remorse. That's not the way to do it. And the Bible also says that from, that uh, Jesus already knew who would betray him from the very beginning. He yeah. knew it was going to be Judas. Mm-hmm. And yet, everything we read, he loved his disciples. He taught them. He was there with them. And so I think that in the freedom the Lord gives us, because out of his great love, there's always that danger that we can go astray. And in creation of the angels, the Bible doesn't say a lot about that, doesn't go into any real depth on that. Uh, But along the way, Satan and a whole host decided to rebel, use their free will to do that, and it's gotten them in trouble ever since. Yeah, I I, uh, I think that was so well said, and I think it's yeah to really reemphasize that there there is indeed such a mystery uh, behind this. But I think that. You know, one of the ways that I've heard it framed um, that doesn't solve the tension, but I think kind of helps us begin to wrap our mind around it a little bit better, um, is that, you know, God God created a world um, where evil was possible. So he created uh, beings, both angelic and human, where that had at least a, a sense, uh, at least a, a version of a free will. And that's, I know that's even debated in terms of what that looks like, even, you know, pre-fall, post-fall but where there's a decision that can be made. So God made, in his wisdom, a world where evil is possible. However, the beings that he made are responsible for making evil actual. So I think that there's a, there's a difference there where, um, and, and, and Tom alluded to this, that God's not responsible in terms of it, it being his fault, in terms of like saying God, God has... God has done this or purposed this, and he wanted all of this to take place. Now, in a sense, though, 
Um, that's the beauty of the cross, because while Jesus didn't, wasn't responsible for any of the sin, he took responsibility for it on the cross on our behalf because he paid the price that we couldn't pay um, and gave us a life to, um, gave us new life. So I think that sometimes that can, for me at least, has been helpful. God made in his wisdom, even though we don't fully understand it, and Tom alluded to that in terms of the, God's full redemptive plan, in his wisdom made a world where evil is possible, but we are responsible Satan was responsible uh, for making it actual, um, but yet on our behalf, Jesus took responsibility for our sin uh, by paying the, the penalty for our sin on the cross. Good word. Have you ever watched the YouTube videos late at night where the guy is going to propose to the girl, and they got the camera out, and he gets on his knee and proposes? About eight out of ten times, it's really good, and she cries, and they kiss each other. But about two out of ten times... It's a no. no. Oh, it's horrible. It's a no. The point is, he could not even ask her to marry him if there was any chance it would not go his way. In other words, the two always function together. Mm -hmm. The ability to get the positive answer also seems to reflect the ability to get the negative answer. And our goal is to align with Jesus and let him give us the right answers. All right. Here's a question. We'll try to squeeze in before the uh, bottom of the hour break. Matthew twenty sixteen. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. What does that mean? Isn't he saying that to Peter? Wasn't that to said to Peter? Is that the place? And you know, some of the people we think are going to be the biggest up in the church in heaven or not, and some of the people that we think you know won't have much to be rewarded for in heaven will be at the top. Yeah, well, I was just looking out here. It's the labors in the vineyard uh, parable, mm-hmm. and um, and giving different wages, you know, at different points of the day, and that those that were paid um, brought it brought in brought in at the eleventh hour. Um, I think it's it's really showing. Yeah, that God's God's economy is, is is often in terms of His giving out a reward and Him giving generously is not often in alignment with with the world's economy in terms of the way that we value and the ways that we order things. And so I think that. You might be surprised of you know the glory that the thief on the cross right ha, ha, has right now, um, but he didn't do anything. He didn't you know he just he he didn't do anything for Jesus. He didn't have time to do that. Um, but yet God gives his his generosity um, uh, to those often at the at the very last moment um, chooses to save them. And I think thank goodness for that. I mean I think we all know people that on their deathbed accept Christ. And thank goodness that He doesn't um, award us according to necessarily um, our performance on earth, but according to the measurable riches of his grace and kindness um, that Ephesians 2 talks about. I love it. I think it's time for a little break. We'll come back with lots more guide talk. The power panel's in place. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, Peter Kapsner is the squad. Everyone's doing great today, too, I must say. A big nod, a big nod of way to go. Um, questions, let them know. Let me know Keep uh, sending them over, 877-933-2484. Got some great ones that I'm going to return to right when we get back.
We got the power panel showing up, suiting up. They're all ready to go. So keep your questions coming, 877-933-2484. Becky says, hi, power panel. Can you uh, please discuss the painful accounts in the Bible when a child dies because of the sins of their father? For example, the son of David and Bathsheba and Abijah, the son of Jeroboam. This is so hard to grasp. Well, the Bible is pretty explicit in the fact that the sins of the parents will visit the children and the grandchildren in the third and fourth generation. I don't think we fully understand the family ties and how people can be affected by their parents, by their grandparents, by their siblings. Um, in King David's place, uh, that certainly was not God's will for the kingdom of God, and David had to deal with his fact that he killed Hur- had Uriah the Hittite killed, so... Uh, that baby was taken, and I think that was just the Lord's judgment, and I'm sad about that. But on the other hand, uh, the next child was Solomon. Who grew up and got really messed up. Yeah, he did. And, you know, so my thought is, and I don't mean to be um, minimizing the pain of losing a child, but let's say your two-year-old child dies. Who knows what pain the Lord may have been sparing that child. And, you know, if if David said, you know, David was, after the baby died, David said, I he shall not come to be with me, but I shall go to be with him. Yeah. And so, and I, I just think that it's awfully hard, of course, when a child dies, but God may be sparing that child something. You don't know. Those aren't comforting words, though, to anybody. No. I don't think. No, but it's still the truth. <laughs> It is. I mean, if if you die at age 10, okay, it's hard. Um, but, you know, who says we're promised 85 years? That I don't... Yeah, and I, and I think I'd be a little bit cautious to, to maybe um, take as an application from, let's just say, the David and Bathsheba story. I'm not quite as familiar with the Jeroboam one, but David and Bathsheba. But take as an application from any of the biblical stories something that might be happening in our own lives in, in terms of maybe we lost a child and the, and the unbelievable pain associated with that. I, I absolutely have heard people wonder if there is some unconfessed sin in their own mm-hmm. life as a parent that caused the result of that. And, and I don't think that that is close to an application of the story. And, and without, we don't have enough time necessarily to really get into the David and Bathsheba story, but one piece of the puzzle that I think is helpful about that story is that when we first meet Bathsheba in the text, she's described as very beautiful. And and that phrase, very beautiful, is the very same phrase that's being uh, talked about very good in Genesis 1, uh, the image bearers of God. And, and the function and the purpose of the image bearers of God are to steward his unfolding future in a way consistent with his plan. And and so what we see in the Bathsheba story is that she is has sort of suffered the loss of all things. She's had her husband ripped from her through David's uh, murder. She's uh, lost this first child. She's lost all of these things. And yet at the end of the David and Bathsheba story, it's not David who is there any longer. It's Bathsheba. And and, and the child born out of this sort of illicit ripping away that David did in this moment, that was not meant to be God's intended future. And, and clearly God cared for the future of that child. But the point of the story is that Bathsheba was somebody who suffered the loss of all things. And yet at the end of the day was the one left standing and made sure that it was Solomon who was on the throne, who was at that time God's intended future. And it's this really beautiful story of redemption of 
what is so often true in the biblical text that just like Bathsheba, Jesus ultimately was willing to suffer the loss of all things for the sake of the wholeness of other people, for God's future as as a steward of his kingdom. And this is why we don't have enough time on guy talk, but there's patterns all throughout the Old Testament of people who suffered the loss on behalf of the future. Joseph's another great example of that, and, mm-hmm. and it happens all throughout the biblical text. So I don't think that story is teaching so much that, uh, boy, if you have sin in your life, you should be concerned that your children are going to live or die. That that would be a, a gross misunderstanding of the text. This is another story of profound redemption, somebody suffering such grief and loss, and yet stewarding God's future in the midst of that. Thank you, Peter. I mean, that's a good word, and I mean that sincerely because we have a tendency to get myopic with Scripture. We go and we look at one Scripture text, we look at one story, and then we want to make an application to our whole life. Right, right. But we have to look at the whole picture of what the Lord is doing and the bigger picture. And although things don't always make the sense we'd like it to, it's a lot more comforting when you look at the big picture of his redemptive plan and his love for us and our Lord Jesus Christ. And Tom, I think that's just quickly too on that. That's why I do truly say, even though it's tongue in cheek, but not really, is that I, I think I went from understanding 100% of scripture to maybe 3 or 4%, right? At the end of the day, it's because I think sometimes we get taught verses and get taught ideas and topics. And, and maybe I'm familiar with much more than 3% of scripture, but boy, sure. to actually get into scripture itself and really begin to understand what the dynamics are at play, to stand in the city of Corinth, perhaps, to understand why Paul was writing to the Corinthians or get into the Hebrew mind and understand their entire language is verb-based and not noun-based and the implications of that. There's just so much going on in Scripture that it, it is such a beautiful, powerful text that has been inspired by God. But to do the work of sleuthing or detectiving around in it, to try to understand the best we can what's going on, there is such power associated with it. And the misapplication of it, oh boy, it's it's honestly part of why I stay quiet sometimes on the, on the listener questions because we all have so many understandable questions and yet great care needs to be taken in how we answer them because, boy, oh boy, I, I would hate to be the one who is misunderstanding and then misspeaking about Scripture. Yeah, and just the fact that we talked about parents losing a child. I know there's people listening right now that maybe just felt like they got stabbed and maybe they've lost a child or maybe they've lost a grandchild. So I would like to kind of wrap this up just by praying. Tom Parrish, would you pray yep. for the parents and grandparents that have suffered that loss? And I am right there with you, having lost a grandchild that was mm-hmm. killed. Lord Jesus, we don't fully understand how you do the things in this world that you do, how you take care of us, how you love us individually, but your word says you do. Lord, there are parents and grandparents right now that their stomach has been turned upside down. And it's been turned upside down for years with grief and sorrow over the loss of a grandchild or loss of a child. It doesn't make sense on this side of eternity. But, Jesus, we're putting our hand in your hand, and you're on the other side of eternity, and you know ultimately what eternity is, and that child will be there. So we thank you, Lord, for your great love. And even in our hurt and pain, surround us with your loving arms, Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much. Another listener piped in with your Eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Powerful reminder yes. for sure. No surprises for the Lord. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to jump over to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. And I will read it. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh mm-hmm. what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions 
for the sake of his body, which is the church. And we want to know more about that. I think the question probably is, weren't the sufferings of Christ sufficient? And what does Paul mean by saying, I fill up in my body that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? That's a good question. But if you look at the big picture, Mm -hmm. what is the church called? The body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And when we suffer for the Lord's sake, Jesus continues to hurt and suffer with that. He is the head of the church. And I think if if we only think of Jesus when he walked on earth, then we don't have a full enough picture. But he is the risen Lord who's in eternity. And for 2,000 years now, he has suffered with his mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. around the world yep. and, and cried and been uh, torn to asunder inside. So we think that he's in this glory that everything is just fine and wonderful for the Lord. But the Lord still struggles as he washes his body. And so Paul's saying, I have an equal part in that. Yeah. I have to suffer as well. Well, I... I... When I was 21 years old, John Piper taught me Greek at Bethel College. And I remember after chapel one day, he came up to me and he was looking at that very verse. And he said, his point to me was, Jesus said it is finished when he died on the cross. And John Piper asked me, this dumb 21-year-old, why would Paul say that if Christ's sufferings were sufficient and total, it is finished on the cross, why does Paul say I'm making up for what's lacking? And John Piper's point to me then I don't know if you would say this now, but it made sense. Christ's death provided full atonement. Yes. There's, there's nothing lacking there. But getting that atonement out into the world for people to believe involves our suffering, and we have to suffer to get the word out like Paul was all over the Roman Empire. That's one way to look it's at it. It's a good word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think so. That's, that is really good. And, and I think, yeah, he's certainly not talking about the suffering that was necessary for our salvation, but I think the suffering that is inevitable if we call Jesus our Savior. And, you know, I think back to, you know, um, Saul's conversion, right, when he was knocked off of his horse or, you know, his animal on the way to Damascus. And uh, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Mm-hmm. And and how uh, Jesus takes persecution so personally. And he said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. And so I think that um, there's suffering that will continue to happen as long as we live. You know, Paul wrote elsewhere, for anyone who lives, desires to live a godly life, they will be persecuted. And so I think this is part and parcel of what it means to be a faithful disciple. And I think we, in a lot of ways, know nothing of this in the, in the church in the West and in North America. But um, I think Paul, and I love what he says here, um, at, at the end of that too, uh, it's uh, Jesus says to Paul, I must show him how much he must suffer for my sake, but then Paul here is saying that uh, he's suffering for your sake. And so I, I think that's just the, that, that, that's such an interesting, you know, uh, way, way to put it, that Jesus suffered for our sake, but, and, and for, we will suffer uh, because we are connected to him, but we suffer for the sake of others so that, as Tom, you already said, and that I think that was a, a wise observation many years ago from, uh, from John Piper, that that's, that's the necessary pathway to bring the message of salvation out to others that don't yet know it. You know, I really hope somebody's writing all this down, because I could sure use this for sermons and teaching. <laughs> Good stuff. 
Yeah, I just I, I was going to say too because what Tom, I think what you were saying as well was really helpful from from John Piper and Justin too. I'm just reading a quote here. It says that that the lack that is being described in this passage is the gap of sufferings between the present reach of the gospel and the suffering necessary to establish a gospel presence among the Gentiles, and that and that Paul is talking about the ongoing suffering that is necessary as the gospel is proclaimed in a world that is broken, lost, and in, in, in darkness. So it's not that Jesus is uh, that the cross event had lack in it, it means that the suffering is not yet complete that's going to be required to reach across all of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. You guys make hard jobs look easier, or maybe easy jobs look hard. I'm not sure which one it is. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> Bill. Yeah, thank you. All right, here's a, a question I'm interested in uh, from a listener. Bill, my question is regarding how the unbelieving Jews worshipped after the day Jesus died. There was an earthquake, and the curtain before the Holy of Holies was torn from the top to the bottom. Was the curtain resewn, and they carried on as usual? I, I don't bet, know. But, I, I bet it was. That's yeah, my guess. I don't know any historical evidence, but no. I'm sure that's exactly what they did. That's my guess, yeah. And they would not have seen that as a real change and in that the whole happened, process. That happened about 33 A.D., the temple itself was destroyed in 70, 70 AD, AD, never to be rebuilt. Uh-huh. Right. So just people, so people know that the temple is long gone, uh, and will it be rebuilt before the end? Some people think it will, but um, right now it hasn't been around for what almost two thousand years. Long time. All right. That pause says it's time to take a short break. You're listening to Guy Talk. We still have time for some more of your questions. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We've got the extended version today, so we're going to run till uh, half past the hour. We'll be right back. guide talk let me know what you'd like us to talk about some great questions coming in judy said can you address the issue of our glorified bodies will they be whole and perfect in heaven or like christ who has a hole in his side and nail prints in it and when the dead in christ will be raised up first and we join them in the air is that just them returning with their bodies because i thought when someone dies if they know the lord they go straight to heaven so a couple questions there. The answer is yes to all the above. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I try to help people understand is that the New Testament does not give us a motion picture of how the Lord's working. We get snapshots. So we get a snapshot of the resurrection. We get a snapshot of what happens to the dead in Christ. We get a snapshot of what happens to others. But it doesn't always all tie together in a way that makes clear sense. What I know for sure is that I'm going to be there with the Lord. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. All of that's gone, and I'm going to be with the Lord forever. He will have those marks in his side in that because he is the one and only Savior. I'm not, so I will not have any of that. But I will be there in his image as we were created originally, perfect. And, you know, I've been a pastor many years. Of all the questions I have gotten through the years, the most frequent one is the one we just got— is grandma in heaven now, or is she sleeping until judgment day to be raised from the dead? 
And the answer to both those questions is yes. Yes, it is. I, I believe her spirit is alive with Christ in heaven. But like us, yeah. the saints in heaven are waiting for the last day to be raised with their glorified bodies. I, yeah. don't, I don't think the dead in Christ have that yet. They'll get that on the last day. The question about if I was wounded in a car accident, will, you know, all that, will that wound be on me for eternity? All that stuff the Bible does not address. But it is. It, I think it is proper to say our resurrected bodies will be like Christ's resurrected body. You know, he was able to go in and out of rooms without opening the doors after he rose. And so it's still the same body in one sense that it bore the scars, but it's a transformed body. And will a, will a two-year-old boy be two years old for eternity or will grandma be 95 for eternity? None of that is addressed. We just, you know, we'll all be whole, wonderful, happy in heaven. I remember I was talking with my, I think he might have been about four years old at the time. And, and for some reason, the subject about the body after we die came up at some level. And Tom, I used some of those examples. I said, well, I don't know entirely for sure, but if we are transformed in our body the way that Jesus was, then it's possible that we would not be subject to the laws of, of material space. We could walk through walls. We could kind of appear and disappear. We could uh, maybe hide our countenance so that people on the road to Emmaus wouldn't be able to recognize it. It's like mm-hmm. all of these things we began to wonder about him. And and he was starting to get so excited. He literally jumped and he's like, dad, I want to die right now. Mm. <laughs> well, mm. and I was like, dude, no, that's not, maybe not the application to this at all. But, but I think what I really appreciated about the spirit behind that was especially as we get older in our lives, right? And, and, and our perishable husk of a body begins to break down and, and, and the illusions that we are made for this world begin to be revealed. And we start living in the truth of this perishable seed in which we've been sown what that imperishable seed will ultimately be. And we're raised, and, and Tom, you talked about our spirits dwelling in, in heaven right now. That certainly was consistent with the view of the early church insofar yes. as I understand it. And and I, I there you, you do begin to long for it. You do begin to walk in the passage of Scripture that talks about that, though our outer person is wasting away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. And, and you begin to long for the kind of shell, as it were, that can be raised imperishable, that is not subject any longer to these things that make the, the physical existence in this world so difficult so often. Yeah. And you remember the the philosophers in Athens kind of said Yahoo to St. Paul for believing in the resurrection of the dead, and they mocked him for it. Right. But, you know, this is a great sermon illustration. If there's a pastor out there and you need a good sermon illustration for Easter, they found in a tomb in Egypt, a mummy-type tomb, a a little bowl of peas, very round, hard peas that had been in there for 3,000 years. They took them, they planted them under a pane of glass, and they regrew after 3,000 years of being in that tomb. And that is a picture of the resurrection. Yeah, you, only God can do this, but he planted us. We're waiting to get our new bodies on the resurrection of the, of the dead. So, <clears throat> Yeah, I've often wondered, you know, um, like how— actually, my wife and I were just having this conversation a couple nights ago, how we're going to recognize each other in heaven. You know, are we going to, is our glorified body going to be like in our prime? So, you know, like Peter will have hair in, in heaven and his new body <laughs> or something like that. Um, no, I'm just oh kidding. But, 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 but uh, sorry, I had I, the thought, yeah, I probably should have censored that. But anyway, um, but the reality is I think that we're, we're truly going to be the best perfect version of who God created us to be in heaven. And that, you know, while Paul says that we have this treasure now in jars of clay, um, that we're broken, that we're fragile, 
um, uh, to show this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We're going to be um, perfect reflectors or bearing God's image to one another. And I just, I don't know what it's going to be like. And this is one of those glorious mysteries, but I often wonder, you know, what's going to like when I see my grandmother in heaven? How, how will I remember her? Will there be memories on earth that will merge with the new memories in heaven? I don't, we don't know, but I do know that it'll be better and far beyond anything we could ever hope for, think of, or imagine. And, um, but I, I do think that um, there's going to be such a sweet reality of, um, having, you know, that, that which was, you know, dies as corruptible will be raised incorruptible, as, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. And, and I think we're truly going to be the best, the best version of ourselves, all that God had created us, intended us for, for to be in heaven and forever. And so, um, so anyway, I think it's fun to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of bambling, rambling a little bit, but it's fun to use it, our sanctified imagination a little bit here, but yet at the same time, not to be overly, you know, dogmatic or, um, you know, think it's not just going to be the best version of ourselves here on earth. It's going to be a whole new, <laughs> uh, brand new. We're, we're, we're recreated. We're brand new. So. And just so we're clear here, 007 with your nice little head of hair that, uh, <laughs> you know, Bro- Brock and I, this is a fashion choice because of the That's sort of right. the perfect that, geometry of our heads. It's a little right. Michelangelo-like. I mean, it's it's just one of those yeah. deals, the, the geometry, right, Brock? My belief is everybody yeah. in heaven will be bald. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, it is the perfect, symmetry, it's so the perfect head. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. long as we're talking this, my first day in New Testament <laughs> class, we're talking about this very passage. And halfway through the class, the professor says, all right, tell me, who are the dead in Christ? And I heard a voice behind me go, the Lutherans. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could do that in a Baptist seminary, too. You can do it anywhere you want. <laughs> all right, you guys, here's a question. I think this has come in more than once, and I've not gotten to it, so let's get to it now. In First Chronicles uh, talks about Magog and Gog. How do they relate to the book of Revelations? That's a long you know pause. I, honestly I've studied this okay and and I think Gog and Magog had uh, a real presence now, I'm, I, this is coming out of the cobwebs of my studies but I think there was a real Gog and Magog back in the Old Testament days and it's symbolic of what's going to happen at the end but I get so nervous when people on preachers on TV say you know that Magog is Russia and that referred to when they you know and just they make all these dogmatic claims of what Gog and Magog are today and how the whole second coming is going to unfold. I'm just, you know, just you got to say, wait a minute. Does it really say that or are you pushing your view on the text? So I just think we got to be careful and humble and say a lot of times we don't know what this means. Mm-hmm. Did it ever dawn on any of us? Because I grew up with Lake Great Planet Earth. You know, I did too. You know, all of those books. I was in study groups on that. And so I've only been around watching this for a limited period of time, but there have been predictions of the end. I just read a book that said every 10 years there's been a major prediction of the return of Jesus, talking about Gog and Magog or whatever. And here we are in 2021, and since Jesus rose from the dead to 2021, they've all been wrong. And yet we keep going back to them Mm -hmm. as though that is the answer. The answer is what Jesus said. I'm coming back. Be ready. I will have the final word, yep. you know, and be ready today. Well, do you guys remember? I mean, 9-11, uh, not, it was uh, uh, when we flipped the calendar from 1999 to, to 2000. 
th- at that yeah. time for sure we are going to see the end of the world. People yep. are saying planes are dropping out of the sky, yep. and and the, you you look through the pattern of history, and almost every generation has their end of the world sort of moment. There, what would what could be called the eschatological moment, certain that Jesus would return, and and clearly in the times of the Black Plague, and and even when the calendar flipped from nine ninety nine to one thousand, you can see some history chronicling the idea that there is pretty significant suicide going on because people believe that the end was coming and there's just a lot going on there. So I think it's such a good word you just said, Tom, that from the perspective of history, every generation tends to very understandably assume that the circumstances of the world around them are sort of portending the end. Are we closer to the end in 2021 than where we were in 1000? Well, sure. simple math suggests that that <laughs> obviously is the yeah. case. But but to be somebody who is constantly reading into these signs, I mean, I, I remember growing up with, I think it was Hal Lindsey's comic book of some kind that scared me to no end when I was about six or seven years old that had taken all of the signs you described and was able to sort of neatly apply Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel and Revelation and all these things. And and boy, I didn't even want to turn on the news at that point because I just figured that Revelation would show up again there somewhere else. So I think we have to be very careful about the idea that really what we're tending to here is is that the end will come, the king will return, we do know where our future is, and we live out our life in the present in anticipation of that future, and it guides our steps along the way. Awesome. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, more Guide Talk. Let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484. We're going to do an extended version, so we're going to do another 30 minutes. Then in the bottom of the next hour, Dr. Ann Rathbone Bradley will be joining me. She's from the Institute of Faith, Works, and Economics. She's an economist. We're going to talk about what's going on. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.